You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. We know there is much to do after a death. All the plans to be made for a burial or for the ashes to be cared for. There are the funeral arrangements and phone calls. So many phone calls. And then there's the paperwork, the legal documents, and the multiple copies of death certificates we must obtain. It can all be overwhelming. Yet it also serves as a way to give our minds focus as we live through the fog of grief. The women in Mark's gospel get an early start to it all. There was so much to attend to. They surely worried about it all Sabbath long, but they were constrained by their own observance of the holy day. And now, Early in the morning, they rush off, not bothering with any extra details because his body must be properly anointed. Off they went, back to the tomb where they had seen the body laid late Friday, and they're in such a hurry, they don't even wait for a single male disciple to go with them. We remember those male disciples have not fared well during the events of the last week. One betrayed him, one denied him, and the rest ran away at the first sign of trouble, hiding away, carrying that difficult burden of grief tempered with guilt. And the women... All the gospel accounts tell us they stood off at a distance, watching everything unable to intervene. And now they're heading to the tomb, and they're fretting among themselves about the stone. Who would roll it away for them so they could attend to the body of their teacher and their friend? We know the story. The women arrive at the tomb. They're surprised to find the stone already moved away. And tentatively, they peek inside, only to find not Jesus' lifeless body, but a young man dressed in white robes, sitting there, waiting for them. And he says, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look. There is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Standing there speechless in the tomb, their hands filled with spices and oils for anointing, the women are confronted with this unexpected news. You came expecting death. But God has other plans. So go and tell his disciples. That's the strange mystery we celebrate on this Easter day, that resurrection has broken into the world. 
Mark continues the story writing, and they immediately ran from the tomb and went to tell the others what they had seen and heard. Except that's not what he wrote. That should be how the story goes. After they hear this amazing news from the stranger in the tomb, run back as fast as you can and tell everyone what you have seen and heard. But Mark's gospel has this most peculiar ending. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Is that any way to end a gospel? There's no sharing of the news. Mark gives us no resurrection stories. There's no sense of hope. There's just this odd ending. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. In the Greek, it's a double negative. Literally says nothing to nobody, which in Greek means nothing, really nothing. And it's an odd sentence structure too. A more literal translation would read, to no one anything they said afraid they were for, which is a stilted way to talk, even if you're a Jedi master like Yoda. Tom Long says it's almost as if the author of Mark's gospel had suddenly been dragged from his writing desk mid-sentence. Now, the other gospels, they've got it all. They've got all the bits we remember. In Luke, the women come to the tomb. They find the stone rolled away, and they're perplexed. And then two men in dazzling clothes greet them, sharing the message of resurrection. And in Luke's story, the women do what we expect. They run, and they tell the disciples. Of course, none of the male disciples believe a word of it. Peter runs to the tomb to check in himself. Eventually, Jesus appears to them in an upper room and sidles up alongside a couple of disciples walking back to Emmaus. Matthew has his own way of telling the story, and like the others, there are women at the tomb. But for Matthew, suddenly there's an earthquake and an angel descends from heaven who rolls away the stone for the women. And this time, there are Roman guards shaking in their boots and passing out by the entrance to the tomb. And frightened at all of this, the women run to tell the disciples and they even get an appearance from Jesus. Now, John's gospel is the perennial favorite for resurrection stories. It's the lectionary choice every year. In John, Mary Magdalene is on her own. She finds an empty tomb and immediately runs to tell disciples. And in John's story, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved both run to the tomb to see for themselves. And the other disciple beats Peter back there. And they both see the empty tomb. And then they both leave. And it's only after they're gone, as Mary's lingering near the tomb, that she mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Eventually, in John's gospel, Jesus will appear to the disciples in the upper room. But Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel ends in this uncomfortable silence. One could argue that Mark really doesn't know how to write a gospel. 
After all, he has no story of Jesus' birth. There's no Bethlehem or Nazareth. There's no manger or census. There's no angelic announcements. There's just no visit from the Magi out of the east. Just a full-grown John the Baptist out in the wilderness preaching repentance. There were a few monastic scribes who painstakingly copied manuscripts of the Gospels who apparently thought that Mark's Gospel was deficient. There must be something wrong with this. And so we have at least three different endings to Mark's Gospel. None of them have strong manuscript support. Most of them, we think, were added to make the end of the Gospel more acceptable. You may find some of those alternative endings in the notes in your Bible. Other Bibles include them with brackets or parentheses at the end. Each one of those tries to fix that abrupt, odd sentence with which Mark ends. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Adding an ending makes Mark look more like the other Gospels, a fix to this stark and silent end we have been given. But as best scholars can tell, this is Mark's resurrection story, composed of only five verses with an appearance by a single angel, a resurrection announcement, don't be afraid, he's been raised, and an Easter commission, go and tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee. In Galilee they will see him. And then that final detail that the women are filled with terror and amazement. Mark's Easter, it seems, is filled more with unease than with joy. Yes, the tomb is empty. Yes, the invitation is set. Go to Galilee and you will see the risen Christ there. But the women remain fearful. Nothing is resolved. The future is left hanging in the silence at the end of this unfinished story which Mark has given to us. It's in the silence at the end when the women say nothing to nobody, when the possibility of resurrection still hangs fragilely in the balance, that we hear the echoes of denial and betrayal from the passion story. When we understand that there's no escaping from the path of the cross, that in the end Jesus walked this lonesome road alone. And in the confusing mist of the early morn, the fate of the good news is still uncertain. Will the women take up the invitation? Will they seek out the others? Will they share the story of resurrection? Or will this story end with their silence? The philosopher Peter Rollins tells of an experience that happened after a long conference session at Calvin College. He was asked the question, you don't say much about the resurrection. Do you deny the resurrection? And Rollins says he thought to himself, okay, this is the time to fess up. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Everyone who knows me knows I do, he replied. And then he paused before continuing, saying, every time I do not serve my neighbor, 
every time I walk away from people who are poor, every time I participate in an unjust system, I deny the resurrection. Do you hear what he's saying? When we refuse to follow the way of Jesus, when we hold on to the nice bits and we turn away from the hard challenges of his teachings, we deny the resurrection. Whenever we refuse to love our neighbor as ourselves, whenever we close our eyes to the suffering around us, whenever we justify the systematic oppression of those who are different from us with words like law and order, when we clamor for war, we deny the resurrection. Rollins doesn't end his story with his denial, though. He goes on to say, and I affirm the resurrection. Every now and again, when I stand up for those on their knees, I affirm the resurrection when I cry out for those who have had their tongues ripped out, when I weep for those who have no tears left to shed. You see, our affirmation of resurrection has nothing to do with our intellectual assent to an idea, but it has everything to do with how we respond how we live here and now, in our daily lives, in the mess that is human existence. Unlike the other gospel writers, Mark doesn't need to give us a flesh and bones resurrection story. Instead, he gives us a resurrection commission. Go back to Galilee. Jesus is going ahead of you. So what does Galilee have to do with resurrection? Galilee is where it all began. It's where Jesus lived, loved, taught, and preached. It's where he healed the sick, where he challenged the unjust systems and spoke a prophetic word. Galilee is the everyday world that needs not a word of resurrection, but a life resurrected. Mark says, go back to Galilee. And when you go back to Galilee, you're going back to Jesus. Right there in the beginning, in chapter 1, that's where Jesus appears, proclaiming the good news of God in Galilee, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. It's in Galilee we hear Jesus preaching and teaching again. It's in Galilee we see him heal the sick. There we feel the worry and the fear as Jesus speaks of being handed over to the authorities. For we've seen the brutal power of the system crush the life from his body. Going back to Galilee means recognizing that God isn't finished with this story yet. We affirm that resurrection is the good news, that God hasn't given up on the world. In Galilee, we see brokenness. We see the despair which has taken hold, the sin of racism which is embedded in our society, the hatred of the other which is weaponized, the divisions which dehumanize those who are different from us. But none of that stands a chance when resurrection happens. God wants to put the world right. 
and that the resurrection of the world starts with each one of us. Not in some afterlife glory land, but here in Galilee, right here in Moorhead, Kentucky. In this resurrection story, we're living here in Galilee. There are no angelic appearances. There are no earthquake pronouncements. There's no glitz and shining glory. After all, Galilee is not very romantic. Galilee is the gritty reality of life. It's a place where people need healing, in which lonely people need a listening ear, where broken people need love and not judgment. Galilee is the place where we might just possibly affirm the resurrection today. In what we say, but much more so in what we do. Because Galilee is the place where we meet Jesus. Where we are given the chance to begin again. Where God is waiting to amaze us with new possibilities, with new life. Galilee is where we will find resurrection. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.